the FT. In the last few weeks, Raul Castro has been on a virtual world tour, meeting leaders from around the world, including Vladimir Putin, shaking hands with Barack Obama, hosting Francois Hollande, and others. I'm Matthew Garahan, the global media editor of the FT, and I'm joined by John Paul Rathbone, the FT's Latin America editor, to talk about the pace of change in Cuba. JP, things seem to be moving at an incredibly fast pace, or have moved from an incredibly fast pace since uh, Barack Obama said, I think in December, that he was going to move to a more normalized relationship with Cuba. How do you interpret developments? I mean, it's it's a wow factor. Uh, the the pace uh, with which Raúl Castro, the president of Cuba, has met all these world leaders that's for public consumption abroad. But the pace of change on the island itself is a fraction of that. I was just in Cuba. You were in Cuba too. I was there with Vice Media, watching them shoot a segment for their HBO series about Cuba. It's the first time I'd been to the country. I mean, obviously, you've been there several times. But one of the things I picked up was that there is a lot of excitement on the ground about what may lie ahead. Do you think that excitement is misplaced? I think what Obama's announcement on December 17th has done is unleashed a sense of hope and also expectation. These are intangibles, but you can feel it, I think, on the streets of Havana, certainly compared to when I was there last year. As to what has actually changed, I think you could say the food is better because private restaurants are being encouraged. There's a sense of hope. But that's actually about it. And the actual real changes in, in concrete terms have been very small. For example, the US said it would start to normalize political relations, wanted to work with Cuba to normalize political relations in December. And uh, talks just to reopen embassies on both sides have not yet concluded. And that's even before we get onto the thicket of legislation that is the embargo. So a lot of these visits by people like Francois Hollande to Cuba this week, um, some of it is to kind of stoke and propel the, the process of change. Some of it is to plant a flag or at least a seed in anticipation of lifting of the U.S. embargo. But that remains quite a long way away. Hmm. There was a sort of visible sense, at least that I saw, of U.S. companies that are you know, looking closely at Cuba and ready to get in there and make investments. Do you think that they're being premature, given that, as you say, that a reopening of embassies and, and the rest of that process isn't happening as quickly as may have been hoped for? So there's a kind of giddy carnival of expectations, and it makes entirely good sense to go and kick the tires. U.S. company executives haven't been able to go there for over 50 years. Uh, go and have a look. I think it's quite helpful to separate the external embargo, which will follow its own due course, and will go fast or slow, depending on the comedy of the different arms of the U.S. government and the inclination of the Cuban government to go as fast as possible to attract more money, but at the same time maintain control. That's one tension. And so that's the external embargo. And then there's another set of tensions within Cuba to do with the internal embargo, which again is to do with the Communist Party's desire to encourage reforms, but also without surrendering control. And you see this very slow shuffle forward, apparent, and I think in a lot of areas. Do you think, or rather, have you been surprised by the Cuban state's apparent willingness to embrace this? I know that they were dependent on Venezuela to an extent for external support, and that a lot of that support has fallen away as the Venezuelan economy has cratered. Is there an economic incentive for them to re-embrace the United States? 
So what are the incentives for change? They are support from Venezuela is threatened because of the state of chaos in Venezuela. I think there's sort of an ideological acceptance that the market is an objective force in the economy. It's not necessarily always an agent of capitalism. And there's also actuarial reasons. Fidel Castro and Raul Castro don't have many years left on this planet, just for actuarial reasons. And they give legitimacy to the revolution. And the next generation that comes forward won't have that same moral legitimacy. Do you think that this process is irreversible now? I mean, once it gets going, is there a turning back? I mean, we have an election looming in the United States, and there are Republican candidates who are very anti-reform with Cuba. I'm thinking about Marco Rubio and, and Ted Cruz specifically. Once this process starts, is there any going back, or is it is that it? Well, my current thesis that I'm holding in my head is that the process of change may be geometric rather than linear. And that's true both on the island and in the US. The two are sort of a mirror of each other. On the island, you've had the promise of change by Raul Castro, very emphatic. And that's raised expectations and Cubans' expectations and desire for change. One fundamental problem that Cuba faces is that all the young want to leave. They see no future for themselves. And in fact, migration has spiked. And in the US, you could see a parallel sort of process taking place whereby People who would like to see the end of the embargo, for various reasons, some of them are commercial, are more and more lifting their head above the parapet. And this is sort of to do with the political economy of reform is that the benefits are often very diffuse. But the people who would benefit and would like to see closer relations, among which I include many Cuban-Americans, the majority, I think once you go forward, it's very hard to go back. That's not to say that uh, the process will be fast. In the Cuban case, the head may want to go ahead and the feet may want to go ahead, but there's this huge kind of midriff of bureaucracy and, and resistance. And likewise, in the United States, there's this the midriff there that sort of makes a faster transmission difficult, other different arms of the U.S. government and the legislative calendar. So a, a very uh, interesting and fascinating process, but by no means a foregone conclusion. John Paul, thank you very much for your time. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.